This talk was given by Ron Hogan Green Sensei at the Zen Center of New York City. Hogan Sensei is a lay teacher in the Mountains and Rivers Order and co-director of ZCNYC. This talk, like all of our talks, is offered free of charge. If you'd like to make a donation or find out more about the temple's retreats and residency programs, visit our website at zmm.org ccnyc. Thanks for listening. Good morning. Uh, my name is Hojin. Thank you. So uh, if you receive the temple notes, then you were notified that Hojin would be here to give the talk. And um, about uh, yesterday, about five o'clock uh, at ZMM, where we were all for a meeting, I was invited to come down <laughs> and give the talk. So here we are together. Um, I have no regrets. Um, um, I did have some anxiety mo moments of as I'm driving down the about three hours of now. You know, normally I set up my life just the way I want. Maybe you do the same thing. And so I know when I'm going to give a talk. And um, here I didn't know. So I had some interesting thoughts about what I was going to talk about. So, um, And there's a lot of new people here today. So I want to mention a lot is being thrown at you. So be patient, be gentle with yourself. Uh, it's as if you were transported to Russian, didn't speak a word of Russia. Um, it's a new language, and it's, it's more than a new language. It's a fundamental way of understanding yourself and others and the love and compassion that can come out of that. That's very different than our usual way of doing business. So be patient and stay open and let it come into you. So we'll be working with a koan this morning. Uh, and a koan is a spiritual investigation. It's a story. Um, most of them probably in some form actually happened um, hundreds of years ago. And then it's taken up uh, formally as a, um, as a question, an investigation between a student and a teacher in Daisan or Doksan, um, so that the, it's a way of helping the students see directly into their true nature. Um, in a talk, it's a little bit different because I need to be a bit more explanatory and a bit more generous, if you will, so that we can all uh, come away with something of the teachings. But nevertheless, it is a direct pointing, and it's one of the ways that teachers teach. So uh, you've probably heard the word koan, but you may or may not have some degree of understanding of it. So this is a particular koan. It's a very famous koan. It's case number 27 in the Mumankan, which is the gateless gate. So there's a koan for you. Uh, nonsense, not mind, not Buddha, not things is the title of it. A monastic asked Dodson, is there a teaching that has not been taught to the people? And Nonsense said, yes, there is. What is the truth that has not been taught as the monastic? Nansen said, it is not mind, it is not Buddha, it is not a single thing. Uh, the translation says it is not people, but I think it is not a, a single thing is a better understanding. The movement offers a brief comment. At this question, Nansen used up all his treasure. How feeble and awkward. And then Muman's verse Muman put these 48 koans together, and so he offers a verse about this koan. 
Um, Talking too much spoils your virtue. Silence is truly unequaled. Let the mountains become the sea. I'll give you no comment. So we live a life of things. Things we want. Things we don't want. Things we think about. The thoughts we have are things as well from a Buddhist perspective. Phenomenon. Things we don't want to think about or know. There's a... uh, It's... To my way of thinking, I want to know all the suffering in the world. But I've come slowly to realize a lot of people don't want to know that. Uh, That it hurts too much. Um, And I have no doubt that what I, if I were immersed deeply enough in the suffering, I might feel the same way. And I've traveled a bit and been in places where there is immense suffering. But there's still plenty more. But there's a lot of things we don't want to think about. We don't want the mirror shining on us. There are things that are offered to us by what we watch and read, what we listen to. There are things we avoid listening to. I... I know someone well who, as soon as a particular TV channel comes on, you know, or particular people just shuts off, you know, mutes the sound and goes about their business doing something else. There's a lot of things out there, and they all affect us. Everything has an effect. Everything. In Buddhist teaching, karma, cause and effect. And you can look at it just in the most personal way sometimes as effect. Because they're not different cause and effect. So everything has an effect on our lives. Everything. In Buddhist teachings, what you say, what you do, clearly has an effect but also what you think has an effect. And that may be the most powerful of all. And that certainly influences what you, what you do, what you say. But it also, from an energy point of view, um, immensely affects what you project, what you offer to others. Um, I've told the story a number of times, and I'll say it again because I think it's funny enough. Years ago, many years ago, um, I was in the monastery, and I was walking down the road, and Shugen at that time was not a sensei, it was not a teacher, um, but he was a very senior student, a senior monastic, and I was a would-be monastic at that time. And he passed me, and um, then he stopped, and I was walking. He said, Hogan, and I looked back, and he said, you know, you still walk like a football player. And there's implications there. I was not happy with his comment, (laughs) meaning I was not happy that I still project that energy of aggression and directness, although other times I'm very proud of it, (laughs) you know. So, you know, 
there is that. And if you've ever tried to closely study how you project yourself in the world by your walk, by your face, by how you say what you say, by your articulation, it's a challenging thing. It's deeply embedded within us. And, you know, one of, I've said this many times, and it's many people's experiences, one of the wonderful things about going to Sashin, which are the week-long meditation intensives that we do every month um, at the monastery, is coming out and seeing everybody's face. Everybody's face is the face of a Buddha. It looks like it should be on the altar. You know, it, 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 the face, the person is at least in some measure, forgotten and open. And uh, I've said this, but it's, I'll repeat it anyway. You know, if you, if you ever travel to go to Sashin and then take a plane ride back, as I have many, many, many times, the most interesting things happen because you're open and you're projecting in the best possible way that openness. So you sit down on a plane, somebody sits down next to you, and they tell you their life story unsolicited. They're, they're feeling it. They don't know what they're feeling, but they're feeling it. And on and on and on. And after this happens 10 or 15 times in some variation, you know, you realize, you know, one way this has nothing to do with me. In another way, I want to be this being, which pretty quickly you forget about, you know, and your face tightens and your grimace and you're concentrating on what you want or don't want or being, as I say, numb and dumb to the world. Um, so everything has an effect. And most of the effects we're not aware of. And it's humbling. I hope it's humbling. It's certainly humbling to me because I, I try and be sensitive to it to, to see that, you know, every sound we make, every thought we have, everything we do, um, every physical action affects everything around us and more all around us. So we want to have things and control things. And the more, the better. You know, so what's being offered to us is the more things you have, the happier you'll be. So let's get more. And I'm not just talking about material things, right? Accomplishment, uh, creative things, uh, Zen practice, passing koans, um, whatever it is. More is better, and I want it. Um, Is that true? Is it true that the inherent promise of happiness is, you know, real? If I just be the right body and have the right hair and, you know, do something to my skin to make it shine and flourish and be younger and, you know, have the right mate, etc., 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 etc. So, you know, the offer is let us seduce you with things we can dangle, the bling of stuff. We will bling you to sleep, says the man so that you will forget about your unhappiness. And if not your unhappiness, the unhappiness that you will, you will see around you if you open your eyes. And we're going to do our best to convince you that bling stuff, 
think stuff is the answer to what you want and need. Is there an ache in you? You folks okay? Is there an ache in you? Does your heart call for something you know not, yet is not a thing? Usually when we start Zen practice or come perhaps to the first time for the, to, to a Zen place, we, we don't know much about Zen. We may have read some books, may have spoken to people, but it has nothing to do with practicing Zen, as you very quickly find out. We sit. That's what we do. We do many other things, and they're all important, but we sit. That's what we do. And what, why are we sitting? Because we're directly experiencing ourself, our own mind, through Zazen. It's not a pretty picture. Usually. We also begin to hear the teachings, which, as I started off by saying, has its own vocabulary and its own way of expression, which is different. It's not blingified. We meet people. We meet people who are practicing. Some came in the week before. Some have been doing it for 40 years. The Sangha. People matter. People affect us. People model, for better or for worse. So from a place of not knowing much, if anything, soon enough we know. We learn how to sit, because sitting teaches you how to sit. Because for most people, sitting is uncomfortable. So we learn how to not be uncomfortable. We find a way. We work with our body. We work with our mind. It's challenging. We hear the words of the Dharma talk, and we shape them to make them fit our understanding. You know, so now I can get it. We redesign our reference system to hold our new knowledge about Zen and spiritual practice because it's affecting us and it's profound and it's impressive, can be to some people. So we fit the pieces so it works within us, and that's helpful and necessary. It's comfortable, gets more comfortable. We discover it's workable. And if we persist a bit beyond the initial mental and physical challenges, there is some peace and measure of equanimity that will come. It's inherent in the practice of zazen. It's a given. It will happen as you study your own mind of craziness. It begins to quiet down because it's not what it fundamentally is. It's acquired. It's... We've been seduced by the craziness of this world and our own desires. And we begin to function with a space between what is happening and our own reactivity. And all that is terrific. All that is worthwhile. All that is helpful. And all that will decrease the the superficial level of anxiety that we all face on a moment-to-moment basis. And I'm not using superficial in a negative term, but 
but the surface anxiety. And the question that each of us face as we go along in spiritual practice is, is this enough? Is this enough? And the questions being really asked here is, what do I want from my life? It's not a question we usually think in those terms about. Uh, or if we do, it's very philosophical. But that's, Zen is not philosophy. Zen is asking you a hard, real question. What do you want as your life? And so everybody in this room has the ability to practice in any, or not practice, in any way that you wish. From not to sitting at home to coming to the temple once a year or once a month or once every five years, all of those things happen, um, to being here virtually every Sunday, um, to becoming a student, to taking the precepts and ethical teachings of Buddhism as the foundation of your life, Jakai, which is what the Raksus are that some of the students are wearing, or the gray robes, which has the commitment of being a student, which is committed to a public commitment to awakening. And this is the fundamental teaching at this temple. Not just at this temple, but for this temple. And so from that perspective, quoting Bodhidharma, the first ancestor of Zen, He defines Zen as a special transmission outside the scriptures, not depending on words and letters, directly pointing to the mind, your mind, directly pointing. It's not about thoughts about, it's not about what ifs, it's not do I grasp it, directly pointing. Seeing into one's true nature and attaining Buddhahood. Seeing into one's true nature and attaining Buddhahood. You want to know what's going on in this temple? That's what's going on in this temple. Now, there's nothing wrong with studying the sutras, with thinking and contemplating the teachers, the teachings, and the, te- and the teachers. <laughs> I mean, Dharma study is one of the eight gates of Zen, which is the foundational practices that we do. But Bodhidharma is pointing at something very, very specifically. Why do we study the sutras? Why is there a workshop on karma in a couple of weeks? Why do we have Ango, which we open here next week? Ango is a three-month intensive practice period. Uh, We, we sit, we're here to awaken to our true nature. And it's a process. It's an ongoing, deepening process. It's a flowering. It's not linear. Because your life is not linear. You are not linear. It's also composed of moments of clear insight. Direct insight, just as Bodhidharma spoke of. A samadhi, a forgetting of the self, samadhi, 
that penetrates within us in such a way that we deeply forget ourselves, forget to hold ourselves apart from our life, forget to hold ourselves apart from this moment of being and interacting with other beings, forgetting ourselves in the act of being with other beings, the act of being with ourselves in the truest sense. Forgetting the words and the ideas and the desires. And these moments fracture our sense of a fixed being that we think we are. They fracture it. They create little or big cracks in it. You know, it's like this, like that hole in the ceiling (laughs) that started with little pieces of plaster falling on your head. And then bigger cracks and bigger cracks until, you know, one day there's a big hole in the ceiling. That's our self, that big hole. So there's a context with this. We're not just destroying ourselves. We're not just fracturing ourselves into nothing, pieces. Otherwise, we'd be psychotic. There's a purpose and a means and a path. And all those are very clear within Zen Buddhism. What's not clear is how you can do that. Why is it not clear? Because everybody's different. Everybody has different karma, different specific circumstances. We're all different. We have as different as the stars in the universe. Everybody's unique. From a Buddhist perspective, everybody is a Buddha. Everybody is whole and complete. And from a Zen perspective, our job, our work, our hope, what matters, what helps us is to realize that for ourselves. It doesn't matter if we're a Buddha, if it's not realized. You know, those of you who have raised a child or been a child, probably most of you, you know, have probably heard, you can be so much, you know, if you just fill in the blanks that your parents are laying on you or that you have laid on your child. Just do what I want you to do and life will be happily ever. Well, Zen doesn't work that way. You have to figure it out. Here's the practice. Here's the path. It's all pretty clear. Here's the teachings. Here's the teachers. Here's the Sangha. Here's the Buddha. Where do you find yourself? So we study ourselves right here, right now. But no matter how much we study, this is not the Dharma that has not yet been taught to the people. This is because until the teachings become yours, your own personal non-depending on words and letters and ideas, your own direct pointing that Bodhidharma was doing in his life, he was saying it. He was directly pointing. That's what direct pointing is. Your own seeing into your own true nature, it's not yet yours. It's conceptual. It's ideas. It's great. We can talk about it all the time. Hopefully not on Dyson. It may be Zen practice. And Zen practice is both the doorway to realization entwine with the realization itself. The practice and the realization can't be separated. And having said that, we can separate them. 
So you can spend a lifetime practicing, but not realizing. You can realize and then not practice, and that does not go well. Think about that. But until it's yours, it's of not much value. It's like, you know, when... when what, what's the name of the show where the people bring in the... Um, the antiques, and they get a priced. The Antique Roadshow, have you seen that? You know, so you're bringing in, you know, you're watching it, and someone brings in this painting they found in their attic, and the person says, oh, that's an old Rembrandt. It's worth $50 million. It's yours. Well, until you, it's yours, it's worthless. It was just a piece of junk in the attic. So it has to be yours. It has to be real. And that's our job here, together, to make it real, as a sangha. That's my job as one of the teachers, just to help you with that. And it's my job as a practitioner to make it real for me. And we all work together in this endeavor. There's no special beings in this room. We're all working together. So, what is the truth that has not been taught? Asked the monastic, and it's kind of a, a wise-ass question, you know, because you know the truth is out there. This is an open book test, you know. The Buddha taught for forty-five years; all the sutras, everything's there, you know. On the face of it, there's no truth that hasn't been taught. Come on, what are you talking about? But it's a direct challenge, and it's wonderful. And that, by the way, is part of the training. That at the end of some of the sessions, particularly during Ango, we have Dharma encounter, and people come up and challenge the teacher or respond to a teaching of the teachers. And it's live, it's face-to-face, it's unrehearsed, it's in front of the whole sangha. It's, it's like doksan or daisan, but public. And it's real. It's absolutely real. Someone can come up and say, what is the truth that has not been taught? What is that truth? You know? I love it. <laughs> So that's what the monastic asked. But there's more there than just a challenge. Because underneath that challenge is always a desire to know, a desire to awaken. And that's treasure. That desire is already at the heart of it. That's bodhicitta. That's the heart of awakening, the heart of compassion, the heart of fundamental love. So is there a truth that has not been told? Sure, nonsense, great master replies. What is that truth? It is not mind, it is not Buddha, it is not a single thing. So mind is not mind, mind. We usually know mind as conscious thought, right? And the Buddha pointed out that's also who we think we are, that conscious thought. So we usually know ourself as conscious thought, maybe with some add-ons pasted on. But conscious thought doesn't hold it. It's so much more our mind. Master Dogen said, what is the mind, he asked. And he answered, the mind is mountains, rivers, and the great earth, the sun, the moon, and the stars. And I remember in my early years of practice when I'd hear something like that, that mind is boundless, I'd say, 
I, I don't relate to that. My mind isn't boundless. It's thinking, I was in my 20s, girls and sports and da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. That doesn't seem boundless to me. It seems like desires. <laughs> um, but, you know, a mind is what we make it, in a sense. If we limit it, we limit it. And when we forget to limit it, forget to do that, what is its boundary? And this is true of anything. So what is the boundary of a thing? You know, the monastery sits in front of a mountain, Mount Tremper. What is the boundary of that mountain? Where does it begin? Where does it end? What's at the bottom of it? Well, you can do that with anything. You know, where does this stick come from? It's called the cuts. It's a teaching stick. Where does this come from? Where did this begin? Well, forget the stick. Where do you come from? Where do you begin? Where do you go when you seem to end? You know, all this is fundamental to who are you? It's all the same question. So stop here a while and sit with the mind as mountains, rivers, the great earth, the sun, the moon, and the stars. That's your mind. Your mind, which we think we know, right? Because it's thought-producing, feeling-producing. We think, you know, who am I? I'm me. What else is there? All we really have is this mind. So mind. Then Buddha. It's not mind. It's not Buddha. You know, the traditional answer to, you know, what is mind is Buddha. So the Buddha is Shakyamuni Buddha, you know, historical person who woke and is directly responsible. You can blame him for what we're doing here today. If if your knees are hurting, it's his fault. Buddha is awakening. It's clarity is the word we usually use. It's your nature, your fundamental nature. It's everyone's nature. It's Everything is Buddha. It's always present. It's unborn and it's dying. It doesn't come into existence when you are born. It doesn't go away when you're dying. It's who you are. And then the last part is, it's not a single thing. But all beings, all things, by definition, are the true Dharma. Dharma, one of the definitions of Dharma is phenomena. Dharma is understood to be pure. All Dharmas are pure, inherently. But nonsense says that's not it. I mean, these are the fundamental teachings of Buddhism. And nonsense says that's not it. It's not mind. It's not Buddha. It's not a single thing. So here we are. Our package of ourself, sitting here, eating, drinking, shitting, speaking, knowing, feeling, joy and suffering, 
the package of our life, living and dying. Don't miss that. Don't miss during the service when we dedicate a service to the specific people in the Sangha or related to the Sangha who are sick, who are ill, who are dying, and their names are read. Note that those names change. They either got better or they didn't. That's you and I. My name will be on that list. My name has been on that list. Your name will be on that list if you practice here. So the question that Nansen is responding to is not a relative truth, or his response is not pointing at a relative truth. It's not pointing at something that's situationally dependent. It's not a teaching among many teachings. And by the way, just to make it clear, you can change your position during this talk. So his answer goes directly to your being, your life, the reason you are here, the reason you're alive, the reason you're breathing. And Nansen is directly pointing at what it is by removing everything you might think it is. So he's speaking to our fundamental matter, our truth of being. And the invitation through this koan, through this teaching, that has never been taught before, is to realize this for yourself. That's, that's the work that goes on in the Dyson room when someone works on this koan. It's to see this for yourself, not as the words of ideas. And Nansen is speaking this way because that particular person in front of him needs this teaching. So that's the teaching he's giving him. That, what does it mean he needs the teaching? That's what helps that person wake up. And that's an important part of teaching. It's one of the reasons that what happens in the Daisan, Doksan room, is confidential. It never leaves. The teachers don't speak of it among themselves or with others. And the students don't speak of it because that is specific to that moment in time and space. And it will only mislead anyone else that hears that and say nothing else of what else we may carry in speaking of that. So other koans speak of it in other ways. What is the truth? Mind is Buddha. No mind, no Buddha. Because we speak of it doesn't mean that this is it. The words are not it. And so, just to offer more confusion, the bodhisattva is not called a bodhisattva. The bodhisattva is not a bodhisattva. I'm misstating that. The bodhisattva is not a bodhisattva. So, the bodhisattva... To me, that represents the bodhisattva of compassion, prajnaparamita. It's not exactly, but there's overlap there. But that's how I take it in. So the bodhisattva is not a bodhisattva. And therefore, we call her a bodhisattva. Because we know that she is not a bodhisattva. And so we're free to call her a bodhisattva. 
being in the world, hearing the suffering of all beings, your suffering and mine. She sees all the suffering in the world. And she sees it from a non-bodhisattva perspective. She doesn't think of herself as a bodhisattva. She's not a bodhisattva. Seeing all the suffering. So we're free to call her a bodhisattva. The name doesn't lodge. It's not a thing. It's not a place. It's not a form. But what is it? I'm hurting! You understand? Do you understand what it means to hear the cries of the world? To hear your cries? It's not a thing. So where do you begin? Where do you go when your sense of your being ends? How do you respond without concept? Without thinking your way into the proper response? How do you do that? Because thinking that way, conceptualizing your life in that way, does not address these questions of your being. It can't address these questions of your being. It's just more bling, sophisticated bling, conceptual bling. People make whole careers of this, whole endless lifetimes of this, whole sutras of this, write books about it. Do we still have books? We still have books. When we sit sazen, what are we actually doing? There's a thought, we let it go. We come back. What are we coming back to? We are seeing what things are not. We are actually seeing what things are not. Not mind, not Buddha, not things. We're seeing it when we let go of that thought. That's what we're doing. We're going directly into this teaching for ourselves, not mind, not Buddha, not things. And it's not conceptual. You're doing your best to count your breath. You can't get past two. And that's a thought. And you see that and you let it go. Do you have any sense of the power of that? Letting it go and coming back to one, to this breath to your home, to your heart. It's the whole practice right there. Did you think that was a beginning practice? It's not. It's the whole thing. Only by taking this practice into your skin and bones and marrow, into your brain, will you see for yourself what the Buddha saw. What you can see of these questions are real for you. Woman's comment. At this question, 
Is there any teaching that has not been taught to the people? Nansen used up all his treasure. How feeble and awkward. He answered the question. By the way, teachers always answer the question. When a question is asked, they answer it. So here Muman is um, he's doing a Brooklyn thing. <laughs> he's complimenting by insulting. And I grew up in Brooklyn, as you may know. And it took me a long, long time. I mean, the place I lodged mainly was Colorado uh, until I came to the monastery. It took me a long time to realize that people thought they were being insulted when I was saying how much I liked them by insulting them. <laughs> and it's still there. I, you know, I just, I have to almost physically restrain myself, you know, not to be such a wise ass. Um, so at this question, Nansen used up all his treasure. It is all his treasure. It's the whole thing. It's, you know, why we say in the Heart Sutra, no eye, ear, nose, tongue, body, mind. No, 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 no. All negatives. It's taking everything away from you. No, you know, no matter what you come up with, you know, in this koan, in questioning mu, in being with your breath, no matter what you come up with, it's not that. So what could it be? The monastic is standing there probably, hands clasped in a bow as he addresses his teacher. And put yourself there, standing before a teacher. Because we do that, as I said. Challenging her. Yet hopefully hungry for the Dharma. Is there a teaching that has not been taught to the people? And Nansen takes his hands and he opens them and places the entire universe in your hands. The entire universe. Because what's left when everything is negated? Every sense of yourself, your thoughts, your ideas, your plans, your hopes, your dreams, your conceptualizations your pains, your hopes, your fears, is let go of. Not forced away, not rationalized, not diminished in any way, just let go of. What's left? As Daito Roshi would say at this point, everything. And it's you. It's all yours. But you say, but, and that's where the teacher rings you at. <laughs> and so Nansen offers that, and yet there isn't a single thing in our hands. It's not mine, it's not Buddha, it's not a thing. Nansen has nothing left. Indeed, he never had a single thing to offer. It's always been yours from the beginning. You come equipped that way. You are that. Woman's verse. Talking too much spoils your virtue. Silence is truly unequaled. Let the mountains become the sea. I'll give you no comment. 
ultimately there's nothing to say. Doesn't mean it's blankness. But there's nothing to say. So I'll say it. It's not mind. It's not Buddha. It's not things. Too much. Way too much. Thanks so much for listening. Please join us on Saturday, September 8th at the Zen Center of New York City for Awakening to Karma, How Karma Manifests as Our Life and Practice, a day-long retreat offered by Ron Hogan Green Sensei. For details or to find out more about ZCNYC programs, visit our website at zmm.org slash zcnyc.